Today in Science from Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Today in Science from Wired. Can an AI predict the language of viral mutation? Computational biologists used an algorithm meant to model human language to instead predict how viruses could evolve to evade the immune system. By Gregory Barber. Viruses lead a pretty repetitive life. They enter a cell, hijack its machinery to turn it into a viral copy machine, and those copies head on to other cells armed with instructions to do the same thing. And so it goes over and over again. But somewhat often, amidst this repeated copy-pasting, things get a little mixed up. Mutations happen in the copies. Sometimes a mutation means an amino acid doesn't get made and a vital protein doesn't fold. So, into the trash can of evolutionary history, that viral version goes. Sometimes the mutation doesn't do anything at all because different sequences that encode the same protein make up for any errors. But every once in a while... Mutations go perfectly right. The changes don't affect the virus's ability to exist. Instead, they produce a helpful change, like making the virus unrecognizable to a person's immune defenses. When that allows the virus to evade antibodies generated from past infections or from a vaccine, that mutant variant of the virus is said to have escaped. Scientists are always on the lookout for signs of potential escape. And the same goes for SARS-CoV-2. New strains pop up and scientists investigate what any genetic changes could mean for a long-lasting vaccine. But let's all take our chill pills. So far, things are looking okay. But the mutations are also what confuses the researchers that study influenza and HIV. Those two routinely dodge our immune defenses. So to try to see what could be coming our way, researchers actually create hypothetical mutants in the lab to see if they can evade antibodies that have been taken from recent patients or vaccine recipients. But the genetic code is insane and offers way too many possibilities to test every evolutionary branch the virus might take at some point. So it's just a matter of keeping up. Last winter, though, Brian High, who's a computational biologist at MIT, and he's a fan of the lyric poetry of John Donne, was thinking about his problem when he came up with an analogy. What if we thought of viral sequences the way we think of written language? 
He figured every viral sequence has a sort of grammar, a set of rules it needs to follow in order to be that particular virus. When mutations violate that grammar, the virus reaches an evolutionary dead end. In virology terms, it lacks fitness. And two, like language, at least from the immune system's perspective, the sequence could also be said to have a kind of semantics. There are some sequences the immune system can interpret, so it can stop the virus with antibodies and other defenses, and there are some that it can't. So a viral escape could be seen as a change that preserves the sequence's grammar but changes its meaning. Brian's analogy had a simple elegance, almost too simple. But to Brian, it was practical. See, recently, AI systems have gotten really good at modeling principles of grammar and semantics in human language. And they do this by training a system with data sets of billions of words that are arranged in sentences and paragraphs. And from those sentences and paragraphs, the system can find patterns without being told any specific rules. The system learns where the commas go and how to structure a clause. You could also say it can intuit the meaning of certain sequences, like words and phrases based on the many contexts they're found in throughout the data set. It's just patterns all the way down. That's how the most advanced language models like OpenAI's GPT-3 can learn to produce perfectly grammatical prose that can stay reasonably on topic. And one advantage to this idea is that it's generalizable. To a machine learning model, a sequence is a sequence, whether it's arranged in sonnets or amino acids. According to Jeremy Howard, who is an AI researcher at the University of San Francisco and a language model expert, applying these kinds of models to biological sequences can be fruitful. If you have enough data from something like the genetic sequences of viruses that we know are infectious, the model will implicitly learn something about how infectious viruses are structured. Brian High says that model will have a lot of sophisticated and complex knowledge. And he knew this was the case. His graduate advisor, computer scientist Bonnie Berger, had already done some similar work with another one of her lab's members, where they used AI to predict protein folding patterns. So this spring, Berger's lab tried out Brian High's analogy, and those results are out today in science. Now, when they first started, the team was interested in influenza and HIV. Those two are notorious for evading vaccines. But when they actually started their lab work in March, sequences from the novel coronavirus were becoming available, so they decided to add those in, too. A different Brian... This one named Brian Bryson is a professor of biological engineering at MIT, and he's also the co-author of this research. Brian Bryson explained that for all three viruses, the scientists homed in on sequences for the protein the viruses use to enter cells and replicate. These also happen to be primary immune system and vaccine targets. They're the places where antibodies latch on, and that prevents the virus from entering a cell and marking it for destruction. So for SARS-CoV-2, that's the spike protein. For each one of the viruses, the MIT team trained a language model using the genetic sequence data instead of the usual paragraphs and sentences. Then they checked on what the model learned about the sequences. The researchers figured that sequences that were determined to have similar meanings should infect the same hosts. So like, the genetic language for a swine flu would be semantically more similar to another swine flu than to a flu that normally infects humans. Does that make sense? 
Well, the researchers were pleased to see that this was the case, and they were also pretty stoked to find that certain strains that had spilled from one species to another in the real world, like avian flu in 1918 and 2009, were scored as semantically similar. Then they checked the grammar. How well did a sequence's grammar score correspond to how viable a virus was in real-world conditions? For all three viruses here, the researchers gathered data from past research quantifying the fitness of various mutants, meaning how well they binded to or replicated in cells. Then they looked at how grammatical the model believed those sequences to be. Mm, grammaticality seemed to be a good proxy for their fitness. But the Bryans, both Bryson and High, wanted to know if they combined the two proxies, could they predict viral escape? When they compared their model's predictions to prior known instances of actual viral escape, the influenza model was the most predictive. That wasn't surprising because the data set they used to train the model was pretty large. It had years worth of influenza sequences and tons of mutations that they knew could sneak past the human immune system. Now, for SARS-CoV-2, they checked their predictions against escape mutants that had been artificially derived. They passed through antibody-rich serum until the selection pressure produced mutants that could evade the antibodies. So, in other words, not anything we currently need to worry about in the real world. The correlation this time was looser. The model flagged most of the true escapees, but it also got some sequences that weren't. Still, though, it's a start that could give virologists a better grip on where natural mutations are headed. Ben-Hur Lee says this is a phenomenal way of narrowing down the entire universe of potential mutant viruses. Ben-Hur Lee is a microbiologist at Mount Sinai's Icon School of Medicine who wasn't involved in this work. And he adds that the predictions are only as good as the data that goes into it. And two, the researchers note, that means the model misses certain nuances, because escape doesn't only happen because of mutations the virus acquires. Like HIV, sometimes the sequence doesn't change, and viral proteins are still recognized by antibodies, but those proteins are shielded by this type of sugary compound called a glycan. Ben-Hur Lee points out that the AI predictions are good for telling researchers what they already know. Like, it can correctly identify the two parts of the SARS-CoV-2 spike that researchers think are more likely to accumulate escape mutations, and another section that's more stable, which would make it a better antibody target. But we still don't know if its predictions can provide truly novel insights. So how, then, are these computational models going to help anybody? Well, the paper's authors believe they'll be most useful in identifying what are called combinatorial mutations— and those are mutations that involve many changes built on each other. And that's probably going to require a lot more data to make them produce good leads for lab scientists like our friend Ben Hurley. So the next step, which will begin this Friday with Bryson's collaborators in another lab, will involve creating some of the predicted SARS-CoV-2 mutants in the lab and seeing how they fare against antibodies in serum taking from recovered and vaccinated individuals. They'll be using what's called a pseudotyped virus that they can use to test how well the antibodies neutralize a particular variation of the virus, but it's not dangerously infectious. And Bryson says they also plan to test a few sequences from COVID-19 patients that the model suggested were more primed for escape than others. 
The lab members are wondering whether their analogy may apply in other situations. Like, could a similar model predict if an immune system will grow intolerant of a particular cancer treatment? Or how a tumor mutation might evolve to evade the body's controls? With the right data, Bryson's lab would like to try it out. He says a good analogy can go a long way. Like what you learned? Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more science news at wired.com science. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.